The Process, a podcast about creativity and experimental music. In the world of experimental music, outcomes and accolades for creators can be uncertain and at times seem far and few between. Therefore, creators and practitioners of experimental music must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one creator and their music. Understanding how and why they create can inform aspiring creatives and help audiences better understand and navigate experimental music. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of experimental music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. Philip Blackburn is a composer slash environmental sound artist born in Cambridge, England, and studied music there as a choral scholar at Clare College. He earned his PhD in composition from the University of Iowa, where he studied with Kenneth Garbo, and began work on publishing the Harry Parch Archives. Blackburn's book, Enclosure 3, Harry Parch, won an ASCAP Deems Taylor Award, He worked at the American Composers Forum from 1991 until 2020, running the Innova Recordings label, which has been called the nation's premier label for American new music, producing over 650 albums and garnering two Grammy Awards, while developing re-granting programs, notably the Jerome Commissioning Program and McKnight Fellowships. In 2020, he took over the NUMA Records label. On today's episode, we listen to Melody from the Still Motion album with performances from percussionist Patty Cudd on Sideband Records. I think a couple of examples of memorable sonic activities happened in my youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of which was walking around the Liverpool docks, mm-hmm. which had been abandoned from their shipyard building days. Mm-hmm. And I noticed a giant foghorn mm-hmm. 
down on the uh, on the ground level next to the to the river there and i i cleared out the beer crates and things and using the, my best trombone embouchure at the time <laughs> i i crawled around the floor and made a very 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 loud sound mm-hmm. which reverberated around the whole shipyards uh, people walking their babies and dogs and mm-hmm. jogging along all stopped to see what was happening and they all kind of tittered and laughed at me but as soon as i walked on i found them doing the same thing right so i, I recruited gangs that day to the, <laughs> the to the phenomenology word. of acoustics yeah and also near my village growing up in england uh there's the blowing stone this is where king alfred would go and call his troops for, uh, mm-hmm. from all the berkshire downs which is just a big old limestone thing that looks like uh, swiss cheese but again you could make a very loud sound that reverberated through the hills sure so somehow being outdoors and part of nature and specifically i think resonance and coupling uh th- the, the things that i took from that um i remember singing the the first dress rehearsal note of carmina barana by carl orff mm-hmm. in, the, in the neighboring girls school gymnasium and, and this is our first <laughs> rehearsal with the orchestra yeah. in this giant space yeah. and i was up on one of the risers ready to sing my my first note after the initial downbeat and i heard that downbeat mm-hmm. was there 150 people in that orchestra all with tam tams and brass and everything yeah. else wow that blew me away i could yeah. not sing my entrance just from yeah. the you know the effectiveness of that sound mm-hmm. and i think more specifically as it became refined you know you get to sing uh, thomas tower's 40 part motet in king's college chapel and you think hmm this is a coupling of acoustic with space yeah. this is a giant instrument this is this music was designed specifically for this kind of environment mm-hmm. and it works nowhere else in quite the same way yeah. uh, so not just resonating those frequencies but the standing waves you set up and so, you know, being part of that polyphony, which in turn is an activator for a space, is one of the most inspiring things, whether it's part of uh, ship's horns or part of a rainforest. And I think the concert venue, especially sometimes in experimental music, can be just that black box space, you know, that 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 place, it's downtown somewhere, you know, there's six people in the audience. Um, so I love this idea that you know, and it's a very Cajun thing that, you know, the, the, the space is the place, you know, and the space is the piece. So when do the musicians get involved in this process? And what, you know, what, what are the scores look like to communicate with them? I think as a composer, especially a soundscape composer, my job is to use all the available resources to meet people where they are and make the most interesting thing that I can if I can, sure. uh, given those, uh, you know, what some would call limitations. Mm-hmm. I love to work with professional musicians who have chops on their fiddles and uh, mm-hmm. axes, and they can do great stuff. Yeah. And a lot of people have, you know, done that before me and in yeah. very sophisticated manners. It's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But I also love working with I, what you call amateurs or even people that don't consider themselves musicians or performers. Mm-hmm. I think we spend a lot of time focusing on the supply end of the equation in, in the act of composition. It's yeah. as though the score is the music right. and, you know, come along and do it if you can. And I've got some of those pieces, of course, that yeah. are very difficult to do and you need a lot of practice. And then, you know, the same 17 people are going to hear them applaud at the end and say, well, that was a lot of work, but well done. Good yeah. job. Next. What's next? Mm-hmm. But when your focus is on kind of the other end, the receptive end of new music, mm-hmm. that's when you're really trying to create an occasion or an event where listening is the result and anyone can listen. So I'd much rather, you know, 
create a piece for a sewer organ. <laughs> I mean, t- take yeah. take the uh, take the sewer system beneath the yeah. Mississippi River here mm-hmm. in St. in St. Paul, mm-hmm. and once you've got permission again from the uh, mm-hmm. the public art people and the post nine eleven sure. uh, manhole cover people, right. and the, and you've got a map of the sewage system that you promised not to share with terrorists. <laughs> now you can do some test tones, and now you can do that underground. Uh, resonance thing that I've been talking about, com- creating a piece of music that's going to come out of the storm drains. Yeah. In turn, that's going to, you know, have the simple effect of bringing awareness and consciousness to what's beneath our feet. We look at architecture and the things around us, mm-hmm. but what about all the hidden things, the hidden sounds sure. and the hidden spaces that actually sound and the ears can awaken us to much better than our eyes, for instance. Mm-hmm. So in that case, you know, that, that was kind of a solo activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's a played back composition uh, that comes from an unusual kind of uh, guerrilla public art intervention. Sure. But then you see people responding and participating in various ways because, again, as they're meandering along the river hand in hand or chasing their dogs or whatever it is, mm-hmm. it affects their behavior for that moment. And they're never quite the same again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and people come up to me this day saying, oh, were you the guy who did the, the car horn fanfare or yeah, the right. you know this, uh, this yeah. really strange occasion? So... There are certainly ways in which I've involved people, you know, uh, people who are training to be part of a biomusic curriculum in North Carolina with Dr. Patricia Gray some years ago. I was in residence, uh, you know, creating instruments out of that particular local area. So let's go to the trees. Let's see what what sounds we can make. Can we make flutes from this? Can we uh, make leaf sounds from these? Can we, you know, often there's traditional culture involved as well, like, uh, I did a piece of the Minnesota State Fair and, they, and a friend said, oh, are you going to do cornstalk fiddles? I'd never heard of cornstalk fiddles, but get me a cornstalk of which there are several trillion around here yeah. and, and show me how to str- string these and we'll make a little ensemble out of this. Mm-hmm. So it's actually much more homegrown than um, bringing exterior ideas into a blank space. And you're absolutely right. Finding something interesting that only I could do mm-hmm. that brings a, a fresh approach to the blank slate, as it were, of a concert hall is the hardest thing I can do. Mm-hmm. You now someone asked me to write them a guitar piece. There's nothing that I can think of doing on a guitar mm-hmm. that a professional virtuoso guitarist hasn't already done. And, you know, millions of other guitarists right. who've fooled around in their bedroom making more interesting sounds than I, I can get from a from a guitar. What can I do? What can I do? And it wasn't until I I started uh, you know bowing one with fishing line yeah. <laughs> that I realized, oh I have never heard anyone do this. I think I found a new way of playing the electric guitar. Sure. And I can make this into a spectral drone composition that sounds electronic, sounds very, very complex out of the most simple thing you can possibly imagine. And having revealed this, this uh, you know, secret, discovered it as I were, obviously everyone's going to want to copy me because it's such a genius thing. <laughs> How can I prevent that? How can I put my copyright on this and get all the royalties that are sure to, to flow from this? I know what, why don't I just share it with humanity? And so that there's no, you know, written score for this. It, I mean, I, I could, tell you in the audience right now how to play my piece weft sutra you got a guitar and you tune it in this certain way and you get some rosin fishing line and you do this that and the other with it to kind of combine a hurdy-gurdy with a with a drone effect um 
And these are the sounds that you can play with once you improvise with them. Mm-hmm. And it's part Tai Chi and part, mm-hmm. I don't know, uh, hallucinatory, trippy time. <laughs> but the way that I created the score for that was it's on a YouTube link. You know, mm-hmm. it's an instruction video. So it, from day yeah. one, it is an oral tradition. Mm-hmm. The next person who sees that or shares it right. says, oh, well, I can do that. You know, whether I call it Blackburn's Weft Sutra or say that I invented it, or if I get 30 people to do it with their guitars, I, I love the idea of kind of kicking off an oral tradition mm-hmm. uh, that in this case, my my ego steps aside and it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be the dominant way of playing electric guitars from henceforth, I'm quite sure. Well, and YouTube itself is an environment, you know, the internet and uh, the World Wide Web, if you will, uh, is a environment, is a space within itself. And, you know, the modes of communication in that space, the idea that you're making sort of a tutorial video, I mean, that's that's pretty much the 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 main way of communicating on, on YouTube with people or one of the reasons people use it as a resource. Right. So I think a conventional score can only ever result in conventional music. If you're dealing with those, you know, 12 steps or whatever they are, Mm -hmm. and quarter notes and crotches and quavers, as we used to call them, and, you know, the guitar and the drums and the bass, as GarageBand tells you we need to have, uh, you're going to be limited in your imagination. The reason that I want to compose, of course, is is to subvert my own preferences and learn something through the process. Mm -hmm. Ideally, learn learn something about myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe find a piece that wasn't in me that I didn't realize was in me Mm -hmm. until I went through this kind of uncomfortable process. Mm -hmm. So, you know, working with familiar materials is going to uh, it's just a generative process. It, it's, it's though I, I'm feeling a need that I'm creating in society that's maybe marketable. It, it maybe mm-hmm. creates content for someone who's looking for content. But all of those things are such trammeled tunnel ways of thinking right. that I, I prefer to you know reduce my my output in favor of a few unique things. Yeah. And uh, the more that I kind of infer an ordering about the compositions from something I've never experienced before, the more I've discovered and the more unique I find that contribution to be. Melody began, I'm going to have to backtrack a little ways here. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2003, I think, I was at Burning Man. Mm. When it was still cool, I'm told. I haven't been back since. Cool. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to make a wind harp because I knew that there was going to be some wind there and, mm. and have something that would fit in a suitcase, not not damage the environment, not be overly complex, but sure. um, complex means with simple results. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, I found that uh, 
setting up uh, with a steady state of wind flow over, in this case, fishing lines with cat food can resonators and some Dixie cups and some <laughs> quarter inch mylar tape and all of this stuff produced some amazing sounds. Mm -hmm. And so over subsequent years, I refined these wind tops and made them smaller down from 50 feet to 20 and then to like mm -hmm. eight to six. And so now I've got a variety of wind top designs, uh, which build on the tradition of, of Aeolian harps that mm -hmm. have been remarked in history over the years. Like you, you leave a harp or a dulcimer in your window and it produces these strange overtones. Sure. So I'm building on that tradition. But, uh, I've set these things up in various public art settings um, over the years, and I've also tried to record them mm -hmm. uh, because they produce really weird whistling tones, some yeah. of them enharmonic, some of them uh, not. Right. Of course, the very thing that activates a wind harp sound is the very thing that makes recording difficult on a microphone. Sure. It sounds like wind <laughs> on the mic. Terrible. It's a horrible uh, kind of like huffing type sound. Yeah, it's a, it doesn't translate. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes I tried contact mics and the rest of it. But what you sure. hear is... Uh, you know, 12 minutes in the life of my backyard wind, wind harp a few years ago, and I think it was really cold that night, so there weren't any other sounds going on mm -hmm. in Minnesota winter. Mm -hmm. uh, and then sometimes I just enjoy listening to that by itself. Time passed, and I thought, hmm, technology's improved. My ear training at school wasn't that great, but I wonder what those pitches are. Yeah. Oh, look, I found a, a, a piece of software here that can actually <laughs> pick out the prominent tones and as it were, make audio wave file into MIDI information. Mm -hmm. I wonder what this would look like as a musical score in 12-tone equal temperament. Sure. And I found a way to do this, and it spat out the most dense, complex-looking score you sure. could ever imagine, yeah. because every time it heard one of these weird whistling sounds, it, it, it came up with the, with the closest approximation, and it was all over the, the keyboard, as it were. Mm -hmm. After some false starts with organists and pianists, I found Patty, who is a real trooper, mm -hmm. uh, an amazing performer on all percussion instruments, and especially with electroacoustics. She said, write me something, so I said, mm -hmm. Be careful what you wish for. Here you go. <laughs> uh, now, uh, simplified through the lens of a vibraphone, can you do all of these things mm -hmm. <laughs> and stay in time and and do four chords at once and then jump mm -hmm. around the keyboard? Mm -hmm. Well, after a you know a click track was invented, and yeah. after months and months of practice, she said, "This is the hardest thing I've ever had to do, yeah. but one of the most rewarding." Sure. And when I first heard her do it live uh, in a rehearsal, I said, and she kind of looked for approval. I said. That's just the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And it was true at the time. You know, one of the things I'm so drawn to pieces like this and, and music in general is when there is sort of the uh, the the illusion of environment or, or nature. And, you know, talking about how wind is perhaps moving uh, moving the uh, electronic part or, or creating this. And it's sort of these, these gusts of complexity and then simplicity. Um, that was my overall impression. And and I felt as a listener, and maybe you can speak on this, I felt as a listener, um, I didn't need to be listening to every moment, but I needed to be aware of the sort of larger landscape that was unfolding. Absolutely. So I think of, if I had to genreify my work, I, mm -hmm. I, I now think of it as ambient complexity. Sure. So coming in, in and out of awareness and attention and focus is all part of it because the ultimate goal is to refocus your own experience of how to notice yourself noticing. Mm -hmm. 
some years ago, I, I started an investigation of composition as meditation. Right. So, uh, you know, in Zazen, you try and empty your mind and you pay attention to the sure. gaps between things. So this is a kind of amplification of that uh, blown up to a much larger perspective. Um, so the gaps between things, and as soon as you come out of meditation or out of that kind of empty space, you say, okay, I'm just going to take a breath and let it go again, right. let it go again. Right. Oh, let it go again. And so I think my compositional kind of strategy is to do the same thing when you experience my music. Mm -hmm. So it's absolutely fine to go in and out. And yeah, you know, if you want to go and make a cup of tea, it won't be that much different when you come back. Feel free to experience it any way you want. In this case, in the recording, you can come back a thousand times if you want and yeah. follow it. You could transcribe it if you really had a mind to. Um, but it's going to be different each time. I remember the sewer organ piece that I did where I introduced sounds beneath the ground coming out of the manhole covers. As people walked away, you could see them listening to birds in the trees. You could see them yeah. paying attention to the traffic. Yeah. I said, yes, uh, yeah. you know, score for John Cage. Yeah. I've sharpened the awareness, at least for a moment, maybe in a, maybe an hour or two. Right. Uh, so if, if this is all listening practice, that's fine by me. I think the word creativity is kind of used as a cudgel sometimes to separate us. Who's creative, who's, who's not. That? Yeah. I, I prefer to think of the difference as what William Blake called the devourer and the prolific. Mm. There are those who consume mm -hmm. and those who make stuff. Uh, but if you think about creativity in a much larger world, it's really the process of com cognition. Is using language to make sense of your environment so that you can get out of bed in the morning. And music, in this case, is a prelingual activity. It's, it's sure. you know, sharing sounds in society, yeah. uh, you know, the individuals and society, using listening and sound making noises, grunts, and everything else as though to develop a meaningful language to, to grow up and mature. Mm -hmm. When I travel the world and they say, ah, you're a musician, that's a universal language, I say. Uh, okay, uh, that's kind of a platitude, but let's go with it for now, because I fundamentally disagree. It's well, the thing that divides us as much as unites us. Well, then, once you say you're a musician, they ask you what, you know, what instrument do you play? <laughs> yeah, well, I was a live voice of Vietnam radio when I said that, and they handed me a broken guitar and told me to sing one of my songs to all of the girls out there. I didn't know how to explain in Vietnamese yeah. where to, uh, why that wasn't viable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I guess one of the ways I interpret being creative as a primal urge too is this idea that people, you know, uh, creatives explain the experience of uh, of creating being something that when they don't do, 
it affects their mood. It affects their uh, their their sort of mental um, you know perspective. Um, some people pointed out as being the reason they get up. <laughs> you know, the they have to get up for work, but the reason they get up is because they know at some point they're going to be able to create. So, how does that factor into your life? Like, how is creativity part of your lifestyle? How necessary is it? I think for some people. The idea of being productive is it, it begins at the piano keyboard or with the pen and sure, paper with sure. a blank slate kind of mm-hmm. thing. And I'm absolutely the opposite end of that. Mm-hmm. that that's the fearful thing which I can't get beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's also part of my analysis of, of how this all works anyway. I think composition teaching, creative teaching has to do with here are some models of how people have done it in the past. Copy them, you know, uh, find a blend of things you like and go without and, uh, yeah. you know, spit it out for the rest of your life because that's your brand. Those are your preferences. You are nothing mm-hmm. more than the sum of the things you like mm-hmm. and add some craft and skill and you can go and produce and you can participate in this economy mm-hmm. of being productive. Mm-hmm. I'm the opposite because I, I would rather start with nothing Uh Starting without an idea is the best thing you can possibly do. Mm-hmm. The the big turnoff is is the assumption that you have to have an idea before you can set foot on a journey. It's sort of like taking a walk in the woods, right? Or going on a hike. I, I mean, you you step out of the car, you step onto the path, and yeah, there there can be things. There there can be some expectations about what that hike's going to be, but pretty much you're at the mercy of the trail and the and the environment, and that's a lot of fun. Right. There's a a book called uh, Composing a Life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what we do, but it's actually more improvising a life. And it's not finished until, you know, your last breath. And and then it all makes sense. Oh, now it's got structure. But at the time, it was made up of a billion different little decisions. Yeah. I feel it's more of like crafting a paper mache disaster is is maybe more accurate. Well, uh, thank you so much for, uh, Philip, for your time today and your insight. And I love this idea of how important the environment is. And this experience in itself will get me thinking now as I'm writing and working on pieces. And I'm sure as as people listening will be thinking more about, yeah, but where is this going to happen? And how is that going to influence my creation of the piece? Let's take a moment here and tell us uh, or tell our listeners a little bit about where they can find more about you, your music, and the specific recording that we listened to today during the episode. If you're interested in finding out more about Philip Blackburn, go to philipblackburn.com. There's a whole bunch there. Uh, Yes, I'm on social media, but, you know, start Mm -hmm. with the website. There's links to pretty much everything I do there. I also happen to run a record label, NUMA, Mm -hmm. which is N-E-U-M-A, numarecords.org. So that's kind of a larger compositional activity as well, helping others, you know, put their work out into the universe. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's another aspect to this whole thing. In the case of Melody, it exists on a wonderful CD and Bandcamp download near you uh, on the sideband records label. Go to uh, do a search on Bandcamp and Patty Curd, P A T T I C U D D. Patty Curd is the wonderful percussionist who put together an album called Still Motion.
Thanks to Philip for sharing his time in music with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out other episodes in the series. And as always, like, subscribe, or leave a comment on your preferred podcasting app. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and this has been The Process.